we're right at a two and a half million ARR. And I agree, they're like, I need seven core values to run my business successfully. No, you need money. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. All right, everyone, on today's episode, we have David Riggs. David is the founder of Numa Media, co-owner of Talos. Jump into like the naming uh, and kind of like how you got started with some of this. Yeah, so back in the day, I was in college, um, really wanted to start a business, had no idea what I was doing. Uh, went to the one person I went to for advice always, which was my dad. Uh, got me an LLC for my birthday. And he just like picked the name of the hat. I'm pretty sure like we're, we're a faith-based family. Pretty sure he was reading the Bible, something along the lines, and Numa came up or Numa came up in conversation. It was something along the lines of that and picked that as like the, the name of the LLC. Uh, again, in college, no idea what's going on. I'm just a finance guy at this point. Uh, and I was like, cool, that's great. I'm just going to call it Numa Media and I'm going to do social media stuff. Uh, and that's where Numa Media got its name. I had no idea you could file for a DBA. I had no idea, like any of the stuff I know now, I probably wouldn't have kept it. Uh, but it's actually kind of become the brand now. Um, so Numa is a Greek name and it's kind of like the creative, like soul or like just the spirit or breath of like a thing. Um, we branded that into being kind of like the, the spirit or breath of the company. So we do a lot of obviously web design development and SEO at Numa. Uh, and it's really, you know, if we can get the messaging, the positioning right on your website and kind of breathe that fresh of or breath of fresh air back into the business. That's where we get the, the Numa name and kind of bring it into the work that we do now. Uh, but since then, we've actually kind of owned what I would say, like that Greek terminology, which is odd. Um, but the funny thing is like, we've, yeah, we've just really owned it. We brought it into a lot of the different businesses that we have and a lot of the different parts of individual businesses. So even at Numa, we have really three main services lines, uh, two really. You can get a website, you can get an SEO, or you can get both at the same time. So we've even named those Greek names. So the web is like, it's the Triton package, which is Triton was like the messenger. So website is like, what's messaging your business out to the public. So we call that the Triton package. SEO is Kronos, which is the God of time on a play of like SEO takes, everyone says it takes forever. Time is obviously an asset. So thinking long-term. So we call that the Kronos. Uh, and then Athena is what we call our web and SEO package, which is like, that's, she's the goddess of like, uh, battle strategy, wisdom, like all sorts of things. So it's just like the nice like combo. So we've owed it there. And then Talos uh, is really like an ops and automation company. Um, and Talos is the technically like a giant automaton that would guard cities back in like Greek mythology. We're doing the full suite and there are more plans to have more uh, Greek named hard to pronounce companies uh, moving forward, which should be a lot of fun. But it's something that we stumbled into that I think Jokes aside, it differentiates it, but it lets us name our mechanisms, uh, which I think is a really important thing that a lot of people overlook is like naming the process of what you do really helps it stand out. Um, you know, you can type in website development company and you're going to get like Colorado web design or Denver web design or like Denver web design experts. Like it lacks creativity brand and you're clearly like outside looking in, you're just competing on price at that point. Like you're one of many. I don't know of another web design company that's like infused Greek mythology into what they do. Um, and that alone, even if somebody's not interested in Greek mythology, it shows that we've taken an extra step to really think through our process, our deliverables, our, our mechanism of how we deliver value and like fulfill on that. Um, and we get just a lot of cool compliments from it of like, it proves that we think through things, whereas other agencies might not. And they're like, yeah, this is our web design process, you know, take it or leave it. Whereas like we, we really spice it up and try and, and throw some, color on it, which I think helps stands out in, in what is otherwise like you could throw a rock down the street and hit six people that could build your website. Like it's a very saturated industry. 
Right. Maybe that's well. We'll get we'll get into that in a second. But I think from the branding element, I do like it. Like as, as much as I give you for it, for like it just kind of being like hard to pronounce. Like I do agree that like I can find literally thousands of other SEO and web development design agencies. Like they're very very common. Uh, and so having something that kind of makes you stand out a little bit more does help. You mentioned that you kind of have it like uh, integrated different product lines too. Like first of all, how big are your teams between Numa and Atelos? Yeah. So Numa. It, it, it depends because we are a little bit contractor, not heavy, but we do have contractors on the team. Yeah, let's say, let's say like full-time employees mostly. Uh, yeah, we're looking at probably 10 to 12. I think it's probably closer to 12. I don't honestly know the exact number at NUMA. Um, Talos just crossed four uh, and we'll probably have six by the end of the year. Okay. The reason I ask is because you mentioned that it's kind of like integrated with other companies. Do you ever think about like the company culture at all uh, through those lens as well? A little bit, yeah. So I it's one of those things that like we make sure everybody knows what the name of the company actually is and like what it means. But like, as we do some of the naming conventions and things like that, it's, it's something that we make as clear as possible for people to buy into. Um, I've definitely found leading those teams, right. And culture, you can do, you could do culture poorly and build culture poorly. You can do it really well, but like a lot of it just starts with like naming something, calling it out and just making sure it's known like core values and things like that. So I would say some of the names are important. Like those naming conventions are, but we really use, core values, uh, one, but then off the back of that, like heuristics, um, which are just basically like documented behaviors, I would say, to really track and build that culture. Um, and those are the two things that we drive a lot of culture and like bringing people together, understanding the vision of the company. We use that more than we use anything else. Okay. No, I'm, I'm curious to ask just because I never like, for all of the companies and stuff like that, that I've worked on, most, most of them like pretty small teams. I don't think any of them have, well, it, it depends if you count like Filipino employees and stuff like that, like like US-based full-time employees, none of them are over like 10 or anything. Um, if you don't count that and take the more Filipino route, yeah, definitely. Um, but the reason I ask is because I always feel like I hear people talking about like, culture and stuff like that. And for me, it's just so wishy-washy that like it doesn't matter at all. Like I'm like, what's your culture? It's like make money. Like that's like, it sounds kind of greedy and like capitalistic, but like it's true. And like, if I have like 30 people that work for me or whatever, like then maybe I'll start paying a little bit more attention to it. But I always just feel like just early on, people are like, we need the perfect name. We need the perfect cultural core values and all of this kind of stuff. I just feel like this is like, I don't know, until you're doing like a couple million in revenue, just if for me, it feels like a distraction, maybe for other people, not so much. I last month was the first time that we ever sat down as a leadership team and redefined core values, our mission, vision, purpose, like all of the fun stuff, like, and we're right at a two and a half million ARR. First time we've ever touched that ever. Like, and, and I agree. I think a lot of people come out the gate and they're like, I need seven core values to run my business successfully. No, you need money. You need a lot of it. You need to make money consistently. Then once you make it and you start having people on your team, I think core values and a lot of the vision and mission, it helps for two things. One, I've, I've noticed, especially in other businesses that I've looked into like buying and things like that, at a two-year mark, employees start to get really iffy. And I think it's probably closer to like 18 months now to where like they'll join a company, they'll stick around for 18 months. At that 18-month mark, they start to really evaluate their choices. They're like, okay, is this really the company for me? And I'm finding for us, good culture, good vision, good values, good mission uh, is doing a couple of things for us. One, it's keeping people in the business a lot longer. So we hardly have employee churn at all. We look over a few people strictly like performance, to be fair. I think every company goes through that. But we haven't dealt with like a core person just disappearing at scale. Right. So I think that's really important. It's something that like, as we grew, we started to pay attention to culture because I think it keeps people around. The other thing is hiring though, man. Like we have a lot of people that will come in. We have one team video on YouTube um, 
every time we have an interview call, they will mention that. And they're just like, I loved it. Like, I feel like I know you all already. So like building the culture and almost marketing it, like it's a product, like you're going to work at NUMA. Like that is a thing that you can hypothetically buy. Um, it goes quite a long way. Like that's, I think the biggest thing of culture. Like, I don't think clients care about it as much. They, they probably want to know your working style, which is vision or, or not vision. It's more values of like how you treat other people, things like that. At the end of the day, they just want to, you know, if they're paying me a dollar, they want to make $4, $5, $6. But for the people that are going to invest and make us like part of their identity and who they work for, it, it matters to them a lot. So once we started adding that, it was easier to filter people out of like who was a good candidate, who wasn't. Um, but like we have people like shouting out other people on the team about like them resembling a core value. Like, you know, so-and-so did so well with this. And it's not even me leading that discussion. It's somebody else calling it out, which I found to be really cool. That is cool. Yeah, I feel like when you have more people, it matters a lot more. Um, also, one thing that I was just doing when I was kind of like trying to prep for this podcast a little bit more is I found you have more than one podcast, right? You too? Yeah, we have uh, the Smooth Operators podcast, uh, and then we have How to Build a Website. Okay. I was going to say, made fun of your names before, the Smooth Operator podcast, when I realized that it also stood for SOP for like, like yeah, for like standard operating procedure, I was like, okay, that's like a ridiculously clever name. Oh, right? I, did, like, I didn't do that one though. That was, uh, do you know Jordan Paris? I don't, but Jordan Parrish should name more of your stuff. He should name all my stuff, quite <laughs> frankly. He came up with that uh, in maybe 10 minutes. It was something incredible. We were like, podcast name. And I was like, the ops specialist. Or like, I don't know. I named it terrible. And he was like, the Smooth Operators Podcast. It also stands for SOP. And I was like, sold. That, right, that, is, all I, that is all I need to know. Um, all right. We'll, we'll move on from the name. So I, I, okay, here's basically, this will probably be like the, the meat of the conversation right now, because I feel like a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff that I see on Twitter is like, listen, like, you know, you can replace your W2 income with just getting like a few clients and like make it like you know, 10,000, 20,000 MRR per month, just starting an agency. If you learn X, Y, Z skills. Um, and undeniably, like you've been at uh, Numa, like building it for like four years. Am I right about that? Or four, yeah. Part of that's moonlighting though. I'd say full time. We are at eight, nine, 19 months. Yeah. We're coming up on two years. It might even be 18. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, so, I asked that because a lot of the people who I see doing this kind of stuff are like, all right, maybe in a little bit more newer-ish kind of like um, industries, like at least ones that haven't been around so much for like 20 years, uh, where like they're like in, you know, email marketing or SMS and uh, they're doing like a bunch of that, maybe like lead generation, things like that. I actually feel like SEO and web development is arguably like the toughest industry to start an agency in solely because the differentiation is incredibly hard. Um, and I don't know, just acquiring clients. Like I, for sure, and every website I own, get minimum, minimum five emails per week saying, hey, do you need a new website? And just something like, like pure spammers, right? It is like so tough to stand out for the noise. And I know I am probably on the low side of that compared to people who own websites. So uh, loaded question here, but like, Let's maybe talk through like for you, maybe there's like different like life cycles, like phases of the business. And I'd love to kind of learn like how you got clients in each of those life cycles, if you view it that way. I think the two biggest buckets of that are direct response and then inbound. Um, so when we started out, I'd say zero to probably half a million. Um, it was direct response. No one knew who we were. I was just blasting. I was one of those five cold emails you got a day. Uh, but I was on Twitter. I was on LinkedIn. Um, I was going crazy. I was messaging anyone under the sun that I thought would fit our ICP, which was again, anyone under the sun, just to see who we could get for business. Uh, an interesting thing happened though. Once we got to that half a million mark, um, I, I back up a little bit. There's a guy I always followed in college, uh, Iman Gadji, uh, runs an agency. He's got like a couple of course, a community 
and he's got a lot of stuff going on now that I don't quite all follow, but he used to have just like how to build an agency type course. Uh, and I took it, listened to some of the videos, honestly don't remember everything from the course. The one thing I do remember though, is like, Hey, whatever your offer is track the ROI. That's all you need to do. Like whatever you're doing, make sure you have quantitative and qualitative ROI and you can sell against that until the day you die. So I was like, all right, cool. We started building websites. So once we got to that half a million mark, I'd say we probably built 50-ish websites. We were not a, a high price point whatsoever. Like we were just shipping whatever we could ship to see what we could get. Um, and we went back and looked at all the data and we we're like, oh my goodness, conversion rate increases. People are saying they get more leads to the site. Uh, they're saying the site looks more presentable and people always compliment them on them. Like there's some qualitative, some quantitative things like that. So at half a million, what we started to do is like, okay, we're, we're going to keep the direct response going, but we're going to build a site that actually follows some of the stuff that we wanted to do because we just quite frankly didn't have time to do it before. And let me, let me, let me jump in real quick. You're saying we, is this, is this you sending every email and building every website? Did you have like one or two oh, people? Probably. I was doing, I was not intelligent whenever I was intelligent, not necessarily the most savvy when it comes to like outsourcing. No, I was sending about 200 messages a day by hand, no automation. So when I found out what Apollo was and like some of those LinkedIn automation, it changed my life for a, a, you know, a good month. Uh, but no, I was legitimately hand sending stuff in after like in between a nine to five. Um, so right when we got to the half a million, I was like, I think this is something I'm going to quit. Uh, so quit. And I spent the extra time basically doing then what I call like inbound or demand gen. So I think the way I always split it up is like that early stage of the company is going to be lead gen. You got to hit people at the right place at the right time and say the right thing for them to at least be semi-interested in jumping on a call with you. And then you got to be quite frankly, just damn good at sales to get them from a, I don't know who you are. So I'll take a call with you to, this is a great product. Let's do it. That's hard. I'm really, really hard. What makes it a lot easier is whenever you start doing that demand gen. So once we had the case studies, once we had a lot of good data on why you should invest in Numa instead of the dude on Fiverr that could do the site for 150 bucks, it became a lot easier to sell. And we started to get people that said, hey, I found you online, checked out your website, saw that case study. This is exactly what I want. We're trying to do X, Y, and Z. Let's chat. And at some point too, like I would imagine basically everything comes down to trust for you guys. And maybe maybe that's not so different from like other types of businesses too, but like, I think especially if, I, I guess, I guess if you crushed it for a website that was my competitor in the same industry, I would turn around to you and be like, dude, I want the same exact thing. Same exact thing. Same exact thing, just build the same thing for me. Yep. I, it's, it is a lot of trust. And that's where, I mean, the, the, if you load up our website, you see three things. Make your website your best salesperson, which is our tagline. You see a little paragraph snippet underneath that. And then you see a strip of logos. And then the bottom right of that strip of logos, you see a very prominent entrepreneur named Mark Cuban, right? You look at that website, you're like, okay, this is not the team uh, on Fiverr that I was talking to. This is like, this is the team. Like this is the team that I need in my business because if that man trusts them to do a site, okay, well, I should probably trust them to do a site as well. It's so funny too, because I would imagine if you're starting out, like you probably would have done that website for free just to have that logo on there. Like, it's like, yeah, like I've heard of Procato, not really, but you know, Parrot Cyber, maybe not really, but like, they seem like, they seem like real companies. Have I not told you the Mark Cuban story? Mm, no. Oh, this is a great, a great story for the podcast. Uh, I am, I'm still working my W2. Um, like literally still, I'm in the bits of it. It's like, I think November of 2020 and I end up quitting February 1st, 2021. So I'm about three months out. Um, I am sending all those cold messages. I'm sending 200 a day. So I'm sitting down at night, cranking out my emails, my LinkedIn messages, stuff like that. But uh, what I always just do is I had two monitors forever. I'm working on one monitor. The monitor I'm doing the podcast on now used to just be like 
Netflix or Hulu or something because I'm working at like night at night. I got to have something to power through. So I, I used to go on Shark Tank benches and I would watch like eight episodes and get all through all my work and go to bed. Uh, and Mark Cuban started talking. And then there was a Mark Cuban, one of, one of the episodes or whatever, uh, he mentioned like people email me all the time and like, you know, I actually respond. And I'm like, there's no way Mark Cuban actually responds. Uh, so that moment I literally pull up, I found his Mavs email. I find his, uh, hold on, I'll, I can find it pretty quickly if I pull it up. Yeah, I find his Mavs email. I find basically everything that uh, I, I could find on him, like any individual like a point of contact. I was like, dude, I, I'm going to find it. I'm going to email him. Uh, so I did. I found it, emailed it. Uh, Timestamp, December 7th, 2022. My agency will build. Uh, you might want to. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, for anyone listening to just audio right now, I'll just kind of narrate this out if that's cool. Basically, to mark.cuban at dallasmaps.com, subject line, my agency will build 2020 CV. Uh, is, I'm assuming that's his portfolio company? That's one, port- one of, yeah, one of many. One of, okay, a free website, in parentheses, not kidding. Mark, I want to build 2020 CV, a new website entirely for free. Hard site can be taken to the next level, and I have a team that can make it happen. Want to give us a chance, David. P.S. Watch this video. It's only four minutes, but I explain why I'm even making this video to begin with. Also, so, so first of all, uh, this is a sick cold email. I feel like most people suck at cold emails. Um, yeah. So like the fact Loom videos that, like, bro. Dude, Loom videos are sick. Like the thing that nobody does in cold emails, is, sorry, the thing that everyone does and the thing that nobody does, the thing that everybody does is that they make it way too fucking long. Like every email that I get it from every SEO agency or every single like website builder, it's so, I'm just like, nope, not reading that. It's a wall of text. Uh, and the second thing that nobody does is nobody uses the PS, dude. Everybody reads the PS no matter what. Because for some reason, the PS might just be the most it's valuable interesting. ever. It's sexy. Everybody reads the PS. Also, it's so funny to see some of this three of his different emails uh and oh, you i found, found every i found yeah you got, you got a MVP, gmail so. a dallas Mavs, and an axs what is axs uh, it was one of his other it was the company that i think he initially sold way back in the day that was still registered online yeah what i will say though you see the lumen here that had two views i only sent this to mark cuban so I watched it once, so I'm I'm assuming he probably opened it as well. Hey, nice. Or or forwarded cool. it over to the other guy. That's it. Forwarded yeah. over to the other guy. Yeah. How how quick did you reply, by the way, too? I want I'm just curious. Is this just four minutes? No way. And you replied two minutes later. So if he goes, if he goes up to heart, you go, couldn't find his email anywhere, mind forwarding it to them. We can start this week. And then and you forwarded it. Oh, so you then you found heart, whoever heart is. I found heart's email, which was 2020 CV forwarded it, got on a call, uh, and it was done. I even no. responded. Thanks for your response back in December. Website is up and looking much better. No fucking way. And so then, so, then did so you that's, do... that's the whole story of that logo. Oh, so, okay. So, so then my understanding then is so basically then you did a portfolio company's logo for him, but either way, yeah. that's the same. And we've been, we've been in talks with other, yeah, well, well we've got cleared to use that too. Like yeah. the overarching. So that's yeah. Um, doesn't doesn't get better than that. Yeah. That's, that's a, I love that story. One thing that I feel like is so ironic about SEO companies is, or SEO and web development agencies, obviously when you're marketing and you're doing all this advertising, basically sounds like it's direct response and social, right? Most like because of the nature of the business, you really can't strum a ton of business with SEO, right? I'm assuming for your space. It's super, it's super hard. Now we'll do some very long tail stuff, but yeah, it's just, 
I, I've also found that ironically, a lot of people won't buy SEO, but what, what happens is that you get these denverwebexpert.com or whatever, that's spent 90 grand on SEO over the past like 10 years. Like they've been around since I was born. It's really hard to outrank them quite honestly, but what happens is they go there and they're like, wow, this is a terrible website. I don't think they know what they're doing. I'm going to go talk to my PPC firm to see if they know anybody. So then what we do is we just set up a lot of partnerships and we get we get a majority of our leads that way. We still have visibility on Google. We'll rank for a lot of long tail stuff. So then PPC company says, go check out Numa. They type in Numa SEO. We get all our searches from that. So we use it in a very roundabout way, but yeah, in our, in our own kind of special SEO way. When you, this is, might be a really tough question that might require some thought. So I'll throw it out there and then I'll ramble for a little bit. Uh, What's something that when maybe you were starting Numa that you were super excited about as like, hey, this will be a really big opportunity for us, whether that's getting new sales or increasing the LTV of our current customers, whatever like that, that now looking back on it, you're like, that was a total waste of time. Courses. I thought courses were the thing. I was going to build like a massive course strategy to like basically send out to people and like use it for all of our like lower budget leads on how to build a website and stuff like that. I put, dude, probably 30 hours into just one module of one course. I think I sold like three of them for maybe like a max of like 200 bucks. Do you think, do you, think you would redo it again and make it free? No, I don't know if I'll ever do a course again. I don't know if I'll ever touch another education product. <laughs> okay. I was, so it's so funny because I was going to, I wrote my own answer for this too. I was like digital products. Yeah. Like for me personally, I came down to the conclusion that like, I just don't want to sell shit to people um, that like are specifically, uh, I don't know. For, for me, I don't want it to have to necessarily come from me. Um, like I would rather like sell to people like through a brand that they're like, oh, like, like perfect example. And I fucking pray to God nobody's that uh, they don't listen to this. But like, uh, I realized that my ex girlfriend's brother ended up buying from my uh, one of my e commerce brands. Um, and I know for a fact that he has no idea that I own it. Um, and I was like, that's perfect. Cause like, for me, that's, that's super fun to kind of like see that on the back end. Um, and from their perspective, I'm just like, uh, like, I don't know they bought, they bought from my company. Uh, and I think for yeah. me doing the whole like digital product element of things, just not as exciting for me. Like I kind of like more of like the anonymity of being able to like own the asset and like kind of like be behind the scenes, pulling the, pulling the trigger. Yeah. And I was going to say, I've done, I mean, and I, I don't know if this might've, I don't know if I mentioned this. I, I did sell part of Talos off as well, which we could chat on. Um, oh, cool. But wow. like I've done that, had Numa, things like that. I prefer being entirely anonymous. If I could, yeah. if I could run a business without any socials, I'd be happy to. Like I, I really enjoy that. And I enjoy putting the brand and the team on a pedestal, not necessarily myself. And I feel like courses are like, they're personal brand strategies. If you have a great brand, you can sell against yep. it. Dude, you, uh, you're kind of following very close to like, I was thinking today in terms of like like uh, rough like framework stuff in terms of like how can people go from like W two employee to like like profitable self sustaining kind of entrepreneur and like what does that look like and I feel like you're following like almost the exact blueprint maybe I was thinking about this because I knew that I had this call coming up but like basically three C's is like the way I defined it, it was like one the comfort like like people take jobs because there's like a 100% certainty to the, for the most part unless you suck your job that like you're going to get your desired outcome of like go get a job for hundred grand a year. Like you're going to have a hundred grand a year uh, and you're comfortable and you know exactly like if I follow what my manager says, I do the work, I'm going to make this money. So like the first step to kind of like getting out of that W2 is like find something else that can give you like that same level of comfort. So like whether that is like an, a small business that can like, you know, spit off five, seven, $10,000 per month, whatever, like find a way to start slowly replacing that income. So that way you're not feeling like you're just like quitting a job. You're like, fuck now what? Um, and I feel like, you know, that's the first one. 
second one, I, I tried to go all C's here, but it's like comfort and capture. And it's like capture for me was basically like, just like get your bag, like go and like build something that like with the intent to sell almost. Uh, and so it's like the, the nice part about this SMB stuff, it's like it replaces it. You kind of redefine your lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. The next part is like, if I can go and sell something for a million or $10 million, like great. Like that's a big win. I can take some chips off the table and like kind of feel a little more comfortable. And then the last one that I feel like a lot of people start realizing is like, once you sell your business, you're like, well, fuck all my cash flow just went with it too. And so then spending time trying to go and rebuild up that cash flow with the intent of like not really going and trying to sell later on, like really just like buying real estate or like going just like producing some of these cash flow businesses. You, you're kind of doing that almost, but like with the difference being that like the comfort and cash flow are more or less the same with you being NUMA, uh, where like you replaced your W2 income by by starting this agency and now you're like generating massive amounts of cash flow every single month. Um, do you think of it the same way or like do you think of it maybe a little bit differently? Yeah, I think there's one there's one layer that I had in there. I don't know if I could do it in three C's quickly on the podcast, but like NUMA is going to be the, the cash cow. There's two C's. It's going to be the thing that I hold as long as possible and spin off as much cash to our team members. And like, that's going to be the the engine that makes everything else run for me right now. Just at the size it's at, it's, it's going to do its job. Um, but the, the second layer there is like, I am really good at spinning up agencies. I don't talk about it a lot. It's not like a thing that I market. I probably should, but we, with Talos, we went from zero to close to like a mid six figure run rate. We basically closed six figures in just projects in like five months for a new business, new market, new offer, which is replacing a business's operating system. So it's not like SEO, like people know, like there's some education that goes there. Well, packaged it, systemized it, had good profit and everything like that and turned around and actually sold a portion of the share. So like my thought process now is I'm going to keep Numa, keep the, the agency there cash flowing and keep it moving and grooving and things like that. Um, but basically the, the first step is I'm going to take any of the extra cash I have start an agency with the intent to sell within a year or two. Uh, so another one that we're starting right now is going to be Twitter ghostwriting. Um, we've already identified some talent uh, and kind of our premise or thesis there, which rolls into, uh, and we talked about this a little bit, I think a long time ago, it was like a Numa Ventures holding company. Um, so we're looking at basically just making that all agencies for the most part for the time being and then scaling it out over the course of time. But really finding freelancers that struggle with sales and struggle operationally that are just raw talent that are just so good at what they do. They just can't place the pieces around it. Uh, and we're already identifying some of those like true freelance type operator people to, to jump into the business and scale it. But yeah, after that part, then it's probably going to be maybe some of those more safe bets market with a dividend fund or real estate, things like that to test out some different things. But I'm really going from a, you know, Hey, if I can have one core thing that just turns cash that I can use at more agencies, I'm fine. As long as I keep new, I'll have my cash flow and I can use time outside of Numa to spin up, scale, and sell these other agencies. All right. I've got like so many questions out of that. The first being, who did you sell Talos to? Or like the uh, you know, Jordan Ross. To? Jordan Ross. No, I think you asked me that in the beginning eight, of this conversation. Eight-figure eight figure agency. Joe, Jordan Paris was the other one. So oh, I got Paris. two Jordans at Talos. Jordan Paris is who I co-founded Talos with. Okay. Uh, he was somebody that was like kind of one of those core portions of talent that he even admit, he liked Airtable, loved doing all the op stuff. He just didn't want to do the sales, and I did. And we can put the go-to-market, you know, cap on that and make a pretty good business out of it. Uh, Jordan Ross runs eight-figure agency. Uh, he does a lot of agency coaching. So he purchased part, uh, half of my shares and now we're cross-selling it to his kind of legion channel and like his book of business. Uh, and it's going well. Yeah. Super cool. Okay. Uh, the second question, what, if you're so good at spinning up these agencies, why not just go and hold them? Because I think for, for myself personally, don't get me wrong, I understand if somebody comes and floats by an offer for like a couple of businesses I run and it's a really, really nice offer, like I say I would never sell, but like 
if it's a really nice offer, I would like just like fact of the matter is I would. Um, but for me, I just so clearly remember the day when we sold and I was like, well, shit, like I have like, I have to, like, I have this nice pile of cash. It's fucking awesome. Uh, but like nothing, nothing new is coming into that pile of cash. It's all just getting smaller every single month. It's all there. Uh, yeah. Right. And, so, and so I'm like, from my standpoint now, if I could find a way to just go and either just like better systemize things and like hire, hire the operators in place and like maybe go and like grow them without necessarily having to go and liquidate. Like I don't need to have 10 million, $20 million right now from, from any kind of exit. Like if I can just go and consistently get that cash flow up to like 50 or a hundred thousand dollars per month, but you know, it's the, the ultimate goal. Like that to me is way more fun. Um, yeah. Cause then, cause then it's just like endeavor runs out, you know, maybe, maybe part of it's just taking some chips off the table, but like, what's the, what's the thought process it's, there? The, the thought process is going to be a little bit of chips off the table. My goal is to see if I can't sell it probably within 12, 18 months and I'm going to hold. So it's going to be a quick build out, quick time invested into it and see how quickly I can pull some chips off the table. Uh, Talos, I kept a portion of my shares. Um, so Jordan Ross didn't buy everything else. So I'm still on a cap table. I'm still owning part of that equity and some of the spinoffs since we're an S corp. Um, so I get the best of both worlds. I get some of the chips taken off the table, but already with the influx of leads and business that we've gotten from him coming on as like a partner, my quarter of percent, I guess, or quarter of the business that's owned is now already more valuable than the 50% that I owned before he was on there. So there are going to be some strategic ways to like, I spun off 25%. I put cash in my pocket and now my 25% equity share is a larger slice than the 50% that it was prior. Yeah, that uh, makes a ton of sense. So um, as long as, I mean, that's a that's a home run. And if we don't get home runs, your point stands. I'll just hold it because we have a good operator in place and good systems and good go-to-market. Uh, as long as I'm not directly needed in the business, we'll hold it day in and day out. Because I was going to say, Taylor's, I was a little confused when I was on the website. And so maybe this is just my lack of understanding. I was going to originally introduce it as a software product, but it seems like it's more of a no-code, like a combination of no-code tools put together to kind of like, be like the custom operating system for a company is that that's exactly what it say? is yeah okay. it's uh because a lot of these agencies what i got back in the day when building numa and heard from other people is that there is not a single software that does what i needed to do so now i have to piece together nine softwares and i feel like i've wasted the whole year piecing together these nine softwares and they still don't work talos will come in and be like okay don't piece together those nine softwares piece together these three let us do it in a month instead of a year pay us some cash to do it obviously but like we'll bypass all of that and basically build something that is like what you dreamed of as a custom software solution. So we just built for an ad agency, a custom ad approval software in Airtable and uh, Stacker that like automates their whole ad approval software. So like whenever a creative is done, it'll automate to the writer and the copywriter will put it in there and automate to the strategist. And like everything is basically automated and they probably, we probably increased their like overall client capacity by uh, quite a bit, I'd say, but like the efficiencies in their business is like, now they have something that does exactly what they need to do. So I would say for a lot of those agencies that are not a hundred million, can't afford to go get a React or Node dev to like build out exactly what they want over 10 years. And the smaller ones are just going to use software because that's all they can afford. But there's that mid-market solution that's like, I have enough cash to go do this, but not enough to go all out and not enough to go, you know, like I don't want to use Asana and their 40 bucks a month subscription. I need something right in the middle. So we found that with Airtable and Stacker and definitely found a really good mold in the market of having that. And I think the other thing I'd say as well, once we build the operating system once for a company, uh, like an e-com store, let's say we built a whole OS around marketing sales and all the different customer success tickets and things like that. I just turn around and sell that to another e-com store and then another one and yeah. another one, another one. So we, in essence, are, are custom building some no-code software, templatizing it, and then reselling it off the shelf to people that fit that mold in the future. 
Oh, that's mine. And I think what you were saying too, in terms of selling like uh, part of your shares to that new partner as well. I was, as you were talking, I was like, this actually seems like an opportunity where like the core stuff or maybe like the how to run an agency kind of stuff does make a lot more sense. Cause then it's like, Hey, here's how to do it. Here's the tools to do it. Now go and do it. And like the, here's the tools to do it is like a perfect plug and play part. I know personally, like for one of the like land flipping businesses that um, myself, Gio and another partner runs uh, it's like, we just signed up for somebody basically it's like hey i also sell land you know i sell a ton of it here 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 and like here's the exact playbook that i use from like cold outbound text messages here's the scripts that i use here's like like here's everything it's 20 grand you can pay it off over six months like do you want to sign up and she's, exactly like, what we did. Yeah, she's like she's showing all the results and i was like yeah of course like if it's if it's working for you like we i know like i know i'm not the most organized person now so i was like i'm just gonna take yours and we'll just follow to a team when things aren't working we're like where did like what are we missing this step here maybe i like all the flow charts and stuff like that so i can see like the coaching element works super well for you yeah and what we do it's anywhere between 15 to 20 for a build out maybe a little bit less if you're a smaller company we do it mm-hmm. over 10 payments so yeah, we're smart. in and out in under a month those other nine months that you're doing over 10 payments we stay on and help you like move into the system and answer any questions um that's smart. yeah it's that's, one of those things that's, that's hard to pass if you got the cash and you can you're good with the cash flow it's 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand is a lot coming out of anybody's bank account. I oh, yeah. wouldn't want to do that personally just for cash flow reasons. But if you offer me a payment plan, heck yeah. Uh, yeah and that's honestly one of the things we've been testing. We're probably, uh, if you've ever paid to get a website, depending on price point, it's anywhere from probably five to 20. You're going to get a pretty wide range. Those agencies are begging you to pay in full. And if you don't want to pay in full, they're going to ask for 90% upfront, if not 90, 80, if not 80, 70. Uh, we are putting sites right now uh, we just did a 20 month payment plan for a site the other day. Honestly, and, if, and from so from your standpoint though, I don't know what the margins look like because you have like your overhead costs, but like I'm just bringing my example back to the land stuff. You do finance payments for the land as well. If like we're selling a 30 grand lot, you know, and, and we paid whatever for it, I, I won't mention that part, but like if if we're selling a 30 grand lot and we can take, you know, eight or 10 down or something like that to cover the bulk, then I'm like, perfect. This is amazing for us because now we can just go in to get these like it's like recurring revenue for the next like 20 months. Yep. And so that's exactly what it is. I try and keep margin within the first two months of those payments um, just for the, like the gross and then overhead and stuff like that is calculated differently for each project and things like that. But like just for the project, that's how I try and calculate it. Um, but we've actually thrown almost all of that out the window with the recession talks. And I put quotes, if you can see my video, I feel like we're going to talk ourselves into a recession. Um, people are nervous. They want to extend cash flow, things like that. There is not another agency out there that can consistently offer 20 month payment plans for websites and survive for another four to five months. I could survive for another four years on 20 month payment plans. So I'm just going to, it's not a race to the bottom because our price tags are still pretty high. It's a race to how long can I extend collecting cash and making that payment plan really attractive. We are winning deals right now being higher priced than the competitors, but offering better and more competitive payment plans that don't include interest. Um, And then people always are like, but inflation. Well, yeah, inflation is going to happen, right? That's totally going to be a thing. But our close rates jumped 22% and inflation's, you know, let's say 10 yeah. conservatively. Uh, you're, you're, I'm, you're I'm making 12% more, more business. Yeah, you're making you know, substantially more For business. sure. But it's just yeah. one of those things that if you don't manage your business well, and I, I come from a finance background, I am always thinking of the absolute worst. We stack cash on hand like there's going to be apocalypse tomorrow, uh, but it lets us offer stuff like this. So like I said, whenever I can price three grand higher than a competitor and win the deal because of a more aggressive payment plan that's 20 months, I will do that day in and day out and just crush everybody else or buy their businesses when they struggle. Now, going back to the land thing, just briefly, because I think that just from the financing, it makes a little bit more sense. We, okay, so like it's 
not, not to sound predatory, but like if somebody goes and misses like two months of payments, we just take the land back. Like we, like we don't sign over the deed until all the finance stuff is done. And so like, it's really not the end of the world. If, if like they put this down payment down, they make a couple months of payments and they're like, like just ghost us for like three or four months straight. We're like, cool. We're just going to resell this land. Like that's just kind of how the business model works that we're in. Um, for you guys, like, is there just that agency risk that maybe I got some on agency world I'm not really too familiar with where like, like if you get stiffed six months in, are you just kind of out of the, out of the money? Really? a really good contract. Saves really a lot okay. of that. So, yeah. so, so um, it's, it's illegal. You can't necessarily like, you don't necessarily have the keys to just go and be like, well, the website's off now kind of thing. No, you don't have the keys. Think of it like a, uh, yeah, I would say think of it like a, a car loan or something like that. Like they can hypothetically come take the car back. I can't go take your website back and you're getting the benefit of it as soon as it goes live. Um, so we just, we did spend quite a bit of cash to make sure that there was like a very strong legal argument ground. And I also pitched that to people. So if you're ever in a sales call with me, like I say the same thing, like, you know, look, James, it's a 20, it's a 20 month payment plan. You're paying a 10 grand website. That's 500 a month for the next 20 payments. If you kick out on the 18 month and you don't pay the final two, like there's a clause in here that says we're like not going to come after you in a mean way, but like, this is an agreement. Like we sign agreements. We take agreements very seriously. If you're not committed to that deal and don't think you can match that 20 month or 10 month, whatever it is, don't sign the deal. Um, so we're just pretty blunt with people. Like we, we don't mess around with contracts. Like if you're going to sign it, you're going to sign it. I'm putting money. Like the second you sign, I start paying people and moving things in the back end to make sure that project's going to go smoothly. It's not something to where like you can say yes and say no, and then say yes again. That's not how I play business. You might get that with somebody overseas or somebody that's maybe a little bit less serious, but that's uh, that's a different ICP that I don't want to go after. Yeah, it's, it's totally totally different. Um, you mentioned, uh, let's see, what did, what I have this note here? It's pretty pretty interesting. Um, like you talk a lot about like kind of productivity on some of the smooth operator podcast stuff and just like how you like maybe structure days. First of all, how many hours a day you work? Do you work? Because I feel like it's got to be a lot. It's it's actually cutting down right now. It depends on my calls, man. Uh, like today, I have. Six hours of calls. I'm going to work seven hours. Six hours of calls. I will say like one hour of calls wipes me out. This is the only call I have today. Uh, and I'm like, after this, I'm just going to get dinner because it's seven let's, over here in Portugal. Let's walk through my calendar. Uh, 22 hours of calls last week, 21 hours the week before. If you're listening to this and you don't have it on, go go look at more insights or time insights on Google Calendar and turn it on. Uh, it gives you, uh, let's see, the time breakdown of how much I worked and how much focus time I had. Uh, who I spend the most time with, what days a week I have the most calls, um, how much downtime I have, how long I basically wait on calls for other people to join. Time insights are super cool. It's Google Calendar. Do you do you actively like change this week over week? Like, or not change it, but like monitor it week over week? Yeah, I keep an eye. I try not to go over 30. I don't like meetings. I don't like taking phone calls. But what I will say right now at the state of business, every day-to-day -day activity is moving. The day-to-day -day movement of the businesses are happening without me. So then it begs the question, like, why on earth am I on calls? Uh, because I push things quicker than most anyone else because they're my companies. But the second thing as well, if I can jump on a call with uh, Bailey, a project manager on our team, and I can do a one-on-one -on -one with her every other week and make her 1% better at her job, that is the best and most yeah, valuable use of time. It compounds so, so quickly. And that's why if we're, if we're looking at liquidation or somebody like wants to come and offer, which they have in the past, there are two things that they always call out. Our teams rock solid and our operations are rock solid. So if I can use that 30 hours and invest it in the other people, I will. I say no to a lot of calls. Like today, um, there's a, with Talos going out, I'm training a new sales rep. So I had to take some sales calls today. Uh, majority of my day, three hours was basically spent either on a kickoff call or planning for a kickoff call for a new client. 
one of them's going to be with you for the podcast. And then three of them are going to be internal training calls with team members, like one-on-one catch-ups and like Q and A's and see how I can help. And that's basically all I do every day. Yeah. I, I will say that's probably the right way to do it. I find that myself personally, I am so in the weeds on shit that I probably shouldn't be in the weeds on. Uh, and so I, I respect the fact that you're actually investing a lot of time into the training elements of it. Cause I think that's something that I probably have to take a little bit more seriously this year to like get some stuff off my own plate. It, it, I, I just find it moves the business really quick. There are certain things that I do, um, but like, I think we were kind of chatting on this. I wake up fairly early. I do about like an hour of morning routine that literally just consists of taking the dog for a walk and getting coffee. And I sit down and I just go. Um, I will say the little productivity hack that I have is I split up my work day into two. Um, so my calls tend to happen, I would say from like eight to two, eight to one, probably I get all my calls in. So anything that I have is going to be in that time frame of just like getting, getting it done. I am an eight to two thirty today, mostly back to back outside of lunch and like one team call that I can be in the background of from two to six. I won't do a thing. I'll read, I'll work out. I'll go do something else. I'll eat dinner, meal prep, stuff like that. I really go like hands off. Um, cause being mountain time, 2 PM, 4 PM for East coast, they're mostly done. Uh, and then I jump back on from six to nine and get a lot of work done. Six to nine is probably the most productive time of the day. And if I'm sitting down and even doing 30 minutes of work in that, it feels like I'm getting three hours done. No, that's, that's cool. Okay. So th- this is, this is the reason I wanted to have this conversation being in the agency world. I can understand, especially having teams and clients, like you just have to have significantly more meetings than I do being real estate and e-commerce and whatnot. Like I just don't frankly need a ton of meetings. Um, so I try to avoid them like a the plague. The, the reason I have even brought this up in the first place is because I've kind of been debating this idea of seeing if I can make a schedule work where it's only four hours of work per day. And so like you and I kind of flip up, like I'm more like, I work really well in like that deep work state when I have like that first cup of coffee in the morning and I can like, just like jam and just like go all in. Yeah. No meetings. And then I'll do all my meetings in the afternoon and evening time. Um, but I think the past two to three weeks as I've been working over here, I'll, I'll work like six to eight hours a day. It kind of varies a little bit, like a little bit less than normal just because uh, I am over in Lisbon and trying to see the most of Portugal and stuff like that. Um, but like, I feel like half the time that I'm doing this, I'm like checking emails. I don't have to check again, or I'm like scrolling Twitter, like doing random shit. And I'm thinking to myself, like if I'm super strict with this four hour rule and I go in and I'm like, here's the three things that I'm going to do in the four hours and like the four hour timer hits and like, I don't have it done. Cool. Got to do it tomorrow. And in my mind, I think it might be really, really valuable to try to do it for two reasons. One, I'll quickly realize, okay, what's the shit that I just can't get done and I have to hire for. And I think it'll kind of force me to do that. And two, I feel like I'm probably going to get the same, close to the same amount of work done anyway, but like with substantially less uh, fuck around time or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And so then I can actually like, you know, if I work from like eight to noon, literally chill from like noon to six and not think about anything or noon onwards, honestly, not think about anything. And then maybe I jump back on and do emails or like this shit that just tends to take a little bit longer. Um, But I don't know. I might experiment with a little bit. I would be curious to see like how it goes. Uh, And I, I figured you'd have some thoughts there. Yeah. So a couple of things. I'll give you one super tactical. Have you ever heard of Opal? I think I did. I tell you about this. Did you? Okay. I had this as a bullet point too. You told me to download Opal. So I paid the hundred dollars a year for whatever yeah. it is. And like, usually I'm pretty like financially motivated, even from the st- like a small standpoint. Like if I pay like $10 or something, I'm more substantially more willing to do it just because yeah. it's like, like a small amount of money. Um, so I had Opal for a little bit. Awesome for the first month. And then I started just hating it. Cause I was like, Right. Oh, I just want to, I just want to go on Instagram. I just want to check Twitter. I just want to go on like do whatever. Uh, so I will say like a month ago, I deleted it off my phone. I just need, I think that's not a product issue. That's a, uh, I have weak willpower issue and I'm trying to go and actively work on that. 
I do a, I block it from nine, nine to six, nine to seven now every day, 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. I can't access anything on my phone. Like all I can do is just message or call people, which is super helpful. And then from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., it's on a soft block so I can go in there and take breaks. That's a super hack for me. That's been a huge help. Um, Maybe I was using it wrong because I could, the issue for me was that I could always take breaks. Oh, so there's a hard focus. So from 7 p.m. to 9 or 9 p.m. to 7 a.m., like I I would have to uninstall Opal, uninstall the VPN, and that's the only way that I could get on Instagram. And I'm pretty sure you have to reset the phone if you do that. So it's like a whole 10 minute thing to get back into Instagram. See, that I think is what I should be doing. Cause like there it was go. for me. Go, for go me. try it again okay. because that hard focus, man, it's not weak will. I was gonna say I have weak willpower too, but I turn on that hard focus. I legitimately cannot access anything on my phone and it just leaves me no other option. Okay. I'm totally going to have to try that solely because I, I, I would go in like the first month I was like, oh, no, no. like I'm still kind of using the willpower because I know that I can just press like, hey, take a break. Oh, for how long? Five minutes to go and like browse yeah. memes or whatever, <laughs> like like whatever whatever the fuck like the default prompt was. Uh, and I realized I was like, this I'm just cheating it. Like, I'm, you just I'm, take breaks. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, I'm just taking breaks all the time. So I was like, this is not worth it. I'm just going to delete it. I'm going to redownload it after this call. Yeah. But I was going to say the other thing with the, like the daily productivity. I think if you took away all my calls, I'm two hours of work every day, truthfully. Mm. And I think that quickly can expand to four hours because you don't have hard boundaries. Right. So I actually really like the fact that I have calls right now. I'm sitting in, that's fine, things like that. But it basically leaves the end of the day. I want to go to bed at nine and I want to start powering down probably like at 830, I'd say. And I'm mostly done and I'm getting back on at six. That gives me a two, two and a half hour window to get everything done. If I don't get it done, it doesn't get done. And to your point, you quickly realize what you don't need to do, what you can hire for, what you're not good at, quite frankly. Like yesterday I had to design some assets because our designer's out. I was like, we don't have a second designer. I need to go find something. Like it creates a lot more pain, but I quickly realized if you think you have four hours of work, you probably have two hours of work and two hours of very unproductive behavior. Like yep. we always overestimate. We're like, that's going to take me 30 minutes. No, it's going to take you four. Like right. I had been yeah. pushing off this email to write to somebody because I thought it was going to be this whole thing. It took me two, I literally timed it. it. took me two, two and a half minutes to write an email that has been sitting in my to-do list for a week because I yeah. just didn't want to do it. And I was just like that. That's where I think a lot of us get unproductive is that we look at everything and start to bring emotion to it. I just try and kill that to-do list every day. Uh, and it gets done a lot quicker whenever you're just like, you know, I think it's going to take 20 minutes. It's probably going to take four. Let me just knock it out and get it done. Dude, this is awesome. Where, where can people find you? Plug podcast, businesses, personal stuff. Twitter, D. William Riggs. Uh, LinkedIn, type in David W. Riggs. Um, NumaLLC.co uh, is going to be the agency website. GoTalos.co is going to be the uh, operations website. And then depending on how quickly I get the Numa Venture site up, which is going to be kind of like a, a grouping of all that, um, I will have to city the domain. But yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on the show. If you thought today's episode was awesome, we would love it if you would leave a five-star review on the podcast, either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and lets us get cooler and cooler guests for future episodes.